Hey everyone, welcome to Mind Body Green's beauty podcast, Clean Beauty School. I am your host and Mind Body Green's beauty director, Alexandra Engler. So I don't have a lot of updates up top to go over, only to say that we are all hard at work at turning out fun, exciting content for the fall, and we have a bunch of big projects in the works in the coming months, so I will have plenty more to share about all that we are working on at My Buddy Green in our beauty section, but I just don't have much to share this week, so in the interest of time, I'll just go ahead and jump right into the episode. Today we are talking about scalp health, hair follicle health, skin health, and how, and how your hair care formulas can affect all of this. So I think for the last several years, most of us in the beauty space have come to understand that scalp care is, in fact, skin care. I mean, the scalp is truly just an extension of your face. It is obviously skin, and it's important we treat it like skin care. But my guest today takes it a step farther. She says hair care is skin care. And when you think about it, it totally makes sense. When you're applying your hair care, very rarely does it just touch your hair fiber. It usually gets into your scalp. It gets on your face. If you have long hair, it can get on your neck, your back, your shoulders. And because of this, it is super, super important to evaluate your hair care products and hairstyling products and scalp care products all when you are looking at your various skin needs. This is especially true if you have skin concerns like acne, psoriasis, eczema, or just sensitive and irritated skin in general. So in this episode, we talk about all the ways that hair care can influence your skin and your scalp. And on top of that, we also get into hair shedding and hair loss. You know, I know that hair regrowth is such a popular topic in general, and then also just, you know, within Mind Body Green readers, whenever we write a story about hair growth, it, honestly, it does so well traffic-wise, so clearly it is something that our readers are after. And I think a lot of that has to do with COVID-related hair loss and stress-related hair loss, but I also just think it's an important topic to cover regardless. So we definitely spent a good amount of the time of this interview talking about why hair shedding happens and how you can prevent hair loss. I really loved this guest that I had on. She is so brilliant. She is a Harvard-trained dermatologist and has really fascinating insights into hair, skin, and overall health. Without further ado, I will go ahead and invite her on. Dr. Iris Rubin, welcome. Thank you. So excited to be here. Well, I am so excited to have you here. I know that this is a conversation that I I think will help a lot of a lot of people right now. We have a lot of the Mind Body Green community, you know, reach out and say they are dealing with either scalp issues or hair thinning or, you know, problems related to to their hair as it relates to the scalp and you know, I, I think it's something that a lot of people are dealing with and a, a lot of people have made their their concerns known. And so I, I am so excited to be having this conversation with you. I feel like you'll be really, really helpful for a lot of people. But before we get into some of that, I, I always love to let the audience get to know you a little bit better and myself too. I, you know, I, I'm excited to hear your story and your journey. So 
What was your journey into medicine? What was the call there? Yeah, you know, I'm someone who just ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be a doctor. I, I have a twin sister and we would, I remember we would get a cold and we'd sit in, in, in our bunk beds and I would talk about getting a cure for the common cold. And I've just always wanted to be a doctor. I, I don't like to see people suffering. I, I just, you know, I, no one does. But for me, the way that I kind of dealt with that is sin and I love science. I, I have a t-shirt that says talk nerdy to me. My kids won't let me wear it. But, you know, I remember even back in high school being teased like we had a project to build a bridge and I was paired with, with a bunch of boys. And I just remember saying, you know, suggesting a design and saying it'll absorb shock. And then they ran after me for years saying it'll absorb shock. But you know what? Like that that's who I am. Like, so I just love science. I love helping people. I love being creative with solutions. And that's really what drew me to medicine. And then what was it about dermatology in particular? Yeah. So I actually went into internal medicine initially. Okay. But I found that it was a lot of managing chronic disease and I really like to fix things and I'm very visual. So, you know, and I don't think I really understood going to medical school, you know, how impactful skin conditions are for people. And, you know, I also wanted to be a cardiac surgeon, but I quickly realized that I needed to sleep. My best friend from medical school did become a transplant surgeon. I don't know how she does it. She's got two kids. Amazing. But I did fall in love with dermatology late. I actually went from internal medicine to dermatology. And it was really that ability to make things better, the visual aspect that I just love. Interesting. And I also feel like that would be an interesting transition into dermatology because you were internal. And then, you know, dermatology and skincare is so much about how internal health manifests itself on the outside. So you probably have a very unique view of yeah. that relationship there. Yeah, for sure. I think the skin is really a window into what's going on in, in the human body. And, you know, I actually spent a lot of my career at Children's treating babies and kids with disfiguring birthmarks and scars. But, you know, obviously all of that goes far more than skin deep and can have associations internally. So, you know, definitely that, that connection was quite interesting. Yeah. You know, you also, one of your specialties, obviously, is the relationship between skincare and hair care and scalp health and how this all marries together. And, you know, I think I think a lot of people don't necessarily realize that dermatologists are also hair experts. I think that maybe that's just not necessarily as common of knowledge. So what was it about the hair in particular that you you decided to hone in on as one of the areas that you were going to focus on? Yeah. You know, actually, I'd never in a million years planned to create a product line, but it kind of like found me. And so the story is, I actually was getting acne well into my 30s. And as a dermatologist, it's really not good for your credibility to be getting a lot of acne. <laughs> and for me, it turns out it was actually my hair care products that were the major yeah. contributor. And, you know, I'm not saying that acne is the cause, hair care products are the cause of all, of all acne. But I do think many people don't realize the impact that hair products have on their skin. In my case, it was acne. So I created Scene and really did a second education about hair care and worked with an amazing cosmetic chemist. I think that dermatologists are very knowledgeable about hair. There's there's certainly hair experts, but you know, getting to understand the product side was definitely another education. You know, ingredients and I, I found it quite fun actually working with a team of cosmetic chemists. And you know, what what makes Scene different is that we really believe that hair care is skincare because. 
Yeah. Hair products get on the skin and stay on the skin for hours and can cause not just acne, but they can, you know, also cause eczema and dry scalp and in some cases even contribute to hair shedding. So, you know, we developed scene to really optimize your skin and, and scalp is skin. And so I think that's really where like the main hook comes in for a dermatologist developing a product line. Like the scalp is where your hair is made and scalp is skin. And you really need to optimize the health of your scalp for your best hair. I cannot wait to get into the hair, hair conversation. But before I do that, I always like to ask my guests about their beauty philosophy. I just, I think hearing about how you view the beauty conversation and, you know, the kind of ethos behind it, I always think it sheds a light into all the conversation that follows. So I always like to ask that up top. What is your beauty philosophy? First of all, I love the question. And I do think my beauty philosophy definitely carries over to scene. So, I mean, I just believe that like less is more. I, I believe in using fewer, better products. I don't think you have to use a million products to get you know, what you want for your hair and skin. And then even though I own a hair care line, you can see my hair is in a ponytail. I, I feel like doing your hair, putting on makeup should be a choice. And yeah. so that's why I think just optimizing your regimen so that your skin and hair, you know, you know, like you don't have to look like a runway model, but look to the point where you feel confident. You know, our brand is called Seen because it's about being comfortable being seen, like you know, even in the morning when you have to run out without like the chance to, you know, do a lot. So my beauty philosophy is, minimalist, being glam when I want, but having that be a choice. And again, that idea of fewer, better products that just do more for you. Yeah. I love that glam as a choice. That's a, like, yeah. I'm it's a great way to word it. I mean, I just, I'm a working mom, of, you know, and, and I've got three kids and, you know, sometimes it really is a choice. Like, am I going to catch up with my kids or am I going to like do my hair and makeup, you know? And so I just, yeah, I just think it, it's a choice. And like being empowered to make a choice, like to just to have that knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. We, at, on this podcast, we also talk about how beauty and health and it's, you know, the marriage of the two. And that is one of our core areas. And so I always like to also ask, what is your well-being philosophy? Yeah. I mean, I, I think the skin, you know, de and, and hair definitely starts from the inside. So I think, you know, for me, I actually ha had a history of Lyme disease. So mm. I've kind of forced into a healthy lifestyle. Like, so I eat really clean and, you know, I meditate once or twice a day, but I, I think, you know, taking care of your body, like definitely impacts the, the health of your hair and skin. I, I truly believe. Okay. Let's talk about hair and the scalp and hair products and how they relate to the skin and all these good things. So, you know, you obviously have a very personal connection to this. You, you found that your your hair care products were contributing to acne. And then, you know, you ended up making that connection to all these other skin diseases. So let's let's lay the groundwork here. How is hair care, like the hair care market that we see today, how is it influencing the scalp and the skin? Like what sort of things do you commonly see in your patients or just people that you talk to? You know, like what are the common concerns? Well, I think a lot of the concerns, you know, I think some some people have realized like anything you put on your hair gets on your skin. So like when you use shampoo and conditioner, it's going to rinse down your scalp, your face, your chest, your back. But, you know, as we're talking, it turns out that we may actually have a thin film of hair chair residue on our skin. We actually published studies showing that even after you rinse, you know, you're, you may forget about it, but your skin doesn't. There, there can be a yeah. residue left behind. And residue's not bad. Like your 
fancy skin lotion is residue, but it just has to be friendly to the skin. And so I think the things that can happen, you know, and then if you think about like long hair, you know, if you have product in your hair, I have product in my hair, it's touching my face, it's touching my back. Yeah. Okay. So it's just hair, whatever you use in your hair is getting on your skin. So I think some people recognize this and the things that it can do is it can contribute to acne on your back or your face. You know, if you're have sensitive skin or eczema, you know, some people will get irritation or even eczema from hair care products. You can get scalp issues. So dry scalp. And then also like in 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 some cases, some hair products could even potentially contribute to hair shutting. And we can talk about this Harvard study that we just did, which is, you know, suggesting that that occurs. But I don't think most people come come into the dermatology office saying, hey, my hair care products are the issue. But it's more just like this needs to be part of the conversation when someone has these common skin conditions. And I think it's pretty hard to find someone without either acne, eczema, sensitive skin, you know, or a scalp issue. Like, I, I don't know who that is. Maybe like a very lucky baby. But <laughs> it needs to be, you know, part of the conversation. Just like we talk about skincare. I think hair care needs to just yeah. be recognized as skincare because of the way it could contribute to these skin conditions. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the the study and hair shedding. and I I know a big thing that I wanted to chat with you today was about hair shedding and hair loss. Just because I know a lot of people who are dealing with this, especially now, it seems like more than ever. And, you know, we we tend to get a lot. Some of our best performing stories are stories about hair shedding and anything like in that world. So it really, it points to the fact that people are really hungry for this information. So let's spend some time talking about hair shedding. Um, yeah. I mean, you mentioned this Harvard study. Can you can you explain it more? Yes. And so so and and I just say about shedding, like I I know we're gonna talk about COVID hair loss, but I, I think that COVID has also made this conversation like kind of an everyday conversation because there is this association between COVID and hair loss, which is typically what's called telogen effluvium, mm. where your hair shifts from the growth phase into the resting phase. So a month or two after COVID or a stressful event, pregnancy, major illness, you can your hair can start shedding. It's actually happened to me not from COVID, but it's pretty scary when it happens. Your hair just starts like coming out. It's normal to lose up to 50 to 100 hairs a day, but this can last three, six, even nine months. And so I wow. think that, you know, with COVID, there, it's also there's a question if it's associated with alopecia areata, but telogen effluvium, you know, this shift from the growth to the resting phase is the more common one. So I think, you know, hair loss is just more, more common now and is, is a really big topic of conversation. So with scene, we, we basically optimize scene for the skin, again, because we believe that hair care is skin care if it's getting on your skin and staying on your skin for hours. And it was optimized for acne initially because that was my case. That was why what happened to me. But we made sure that scene is basically developed and tested like a luxury skincare product. So the, the things that make it different is that we make sure that it won't clog the pores and that it's non-irritating and that we avoid many common allergens. So we were actually approached by the head of the Harvard Hair Loss Clinic to, to take a look at scene for hair loss. The stuff being that this could really optimize the health of the follicles and that traditional hair care products could affect the health of the follicles, which are, you know, basically the manufacturing plan of the, for your hair by either clogging the pores, irritants, or allergens. So we did actually a six-month randomized controlled trial. I know that's like not typical for a hair care brand, but we really view ourselves kind of like a hair care brand, but like a science beauty crossover. And it was shocking, the results. So we gave 
women with female pattern hair loss seen when we used our fragrance-free versions, shampoo and conditioner for six months, and there was 44% less shedding, which wow. basically, yeah, it equated to more than 10% of, of the human head of hair over, over a year that could be saved by switching to fragrance-free seen shampoo and conditioner. So pretty, pretty shocking, but just, you know, w- worth knowing that you could just by changing your sh- shampoo and conditioner, you could reduce all this shedding. Yeah. So let's get into the nitty gritty of why increased shedding may occur and then some of the things that you can do about it. So, you know, we have mentioned already COVID, right? And that, do we think that that is because of the stress that COVID puts on the body that causes the hair to go into its resting phase? Is that, you know, that's a really good question. I think any, any, like, I think stress contributes, but probably COVID itself contributes because, you know, this with with a, a major illness or a surgery or even postpartum where it's just shifting the hair from that growth phase into the resting phase. So, you know, one of the things people say, what do we do? You know, what do you do if you've got COVID hair loss? It's super hard to just wait it out. You know, if you can reduce stress, I always find that such a tricky thing to say, because who doesn't want to reduce stress anyhow? You know, yeah. like, you know, it's like we're all just like sitting around being like, hmm, what should I do today? I guess I guess I'll reduce my stress. Like, yeah. obviously, we all want to reduce stress. And if someone told me to reduce stress, it would always stress me out more because yeah. I'm like, I have one more thing to do. But no, but really, I mean, I think as much as possible, you know, reducing stress and just treating the hair gently, you know, to make sure that like you minimize breakage and just keep the hair healthy that you do have while you're writing out that, you know, shedding to stop is, is really, you know, important. And then checking things like just making sure you're not iron deficient, you know, thyroid is also worth checking, but you know, there's not unfortunately a whole lot to do, you know, other than that. And for most people, the shedding will stop and it will not be permanent. Yeah. So, I mean, that's at least good to know that for most people, it won't be permanent. So you can at least rest on that when it's happening. Oh, of course. Absolutely. I mean, I I remember after I had surgery one time, I like experienced it where I just had like incredible amounts of shedding. And it just, I remember just how upset upset it made me. You know, it's it's very upsetting to go through something like that. So, you know, I can certainly empathize with anybody who's going through it right now. Okay. So we talked about that end of it, but you know, I, I, I think when you were talking about the Harvard study in particular, you mentioned that keeping the hair follicle healthy, you know, by, by the use of a good shampoo and hair care products. So walk us through why that's important. Like why is keeping the hair follicle and scalp clean and healthy important for hair growth? I know this probably seems like a basic question, but I'm not sure if everybody necessarily knows the connection there. Actually, I think it's a great question because there's not really a lot of published studies on like what just your basic hair care does for hair loss. Like we, we do know there's some conditions they're called scarring alopecia. So we do know certain allergens and some hair care products have been associated with some types of scarring alopecia, but that's not the hair loss that most people have. So, you know, even, even with sharing the results of the, of the study, I, you know, we have ideas of why this is seen as helping the hair sh- and I'll share those with you, but it's, you know, it's a conversation I think that, that is out there, but no one's really proven, you know, mm-hmm how just regular hair care products can either contribute to hair shedding or help it. But I'll, I'll tell you what, what I think is happening. So basically, the follicles on your hair are the manufacturing plant for your hair. So, you know, a pore is a follicle. So 
if you are clogging it, so, you know, a bunch of traditional hair products have ingredients that can clog pores. And those can be, you know, not all oils clog pores, but some oils, there's heavy waxes, there's polymers that, that are sticky. So if this gets into your pore and clogs it, that potentially, you know, we don't have evidence for sure, you know, could impact hair health. The other thing is if you are affecting the follicle with irritants or allergens, and you would know that because your scalp would feel itchy or red, you know, that could potentially also contribute to hair health. Now, this is this is something where, again, I think we need more research, but it just makes sense. And, and this Harvard study is just a suggestion that, yes, you know, cleaning up hair care products can improve hair. I think you're absolutely right. There obviously like has to be some sort of connection there. But, you know, it's just about publishing more research and doing more research for us to have a better understanding of it. So, you know, those are some areas or those are some causes and contributing factors for hair loss and hair shedding. What are some uncommon ones that people may not necessarily know about or think about just because, you know, there is so much that can contribute to hair shedding and hair loss and hair health in general. So, you know, what are some of the more uncommon ones that that you run into with patients or just know about? I think some of them are like, there's something called traction alopecia, which is just from like tight hairstyles. So you yeah. can actually start to get, you know, some some hair loss, like from like super tight hairstyles. So that's one I think worth knowing about. Another is some medications. It's actually a pretty long list of medicines that can affect hair loss. And, you know, even like some hormonal things like birth control with like starting it or stopping it or changing, you know, that can also potentially contribute to hair loss. And then I, you know, looking at making sure that you're not iron deficient or, you know, that your thyroid is okay. You know, those are really important. And, you know, the most common cause of hair loss is what we call androgenetic alopecia, female pattern hair loss or male pattern hair loss. It's a combination of genetics and hormones. You know, my my mom has it pretty significantly. It it runs in many people's families. And I'd say those are some of the more common causes of hair loss. Okay. You know, you mentioned hormones, especially with the latter example. What is hormones role in this? Yeah, you know, it's, I think that's a great question. You know, we do know that that stopping, starting, changing, for example, oral contraception can affect affect hair. hair. So I think it's a pretty complex role. But if, if anyone's, you know, having hormonal changes or even polycystic ovarian syndrome can affect, you know, hair, you know, it's, it's worth just considering the role of hormones in, sure. in hair. Yeah, yeah. Hormones in any sort of beauty conversation is always just so challenging just because, you know, hormones are, are so complicated and affect so much, but there's a lot of things that affect hormones, you know, so it's... Agreed. You know. Okay. So let's talk about what people can do to help. You know, I think the basis of any hair care routine is our quality products. And, you know, we've we've mentioned a little bit of that conversation here of, you know, making sure that you are finding products that are clean and don't have, you know, these common allergens or things that are clogging your follicles. What other things can people do to help either um, slow down the shedding process or even, you know, maximize growth? Yeah. I think that's a, that's a really good question. I mean, there's a lot of products, you know, on, on the market that are non-medicated and, you know, whether they work is, you know, tricky to, to answer, you know, supplements are also a tricky one. So, you know, there's some tried and true things for, for hair loss. Like if you've got female pattern hair loss, 
topical minoxidil is tried and true. Yeah. There's things that you can do with a dermatologist. You know, there's some oral medications potentially. But, you know, I never, I never like to, until I see like a really good randomized controlled study or some other, something else convincing. So, you know, another thing I would say is that if you are dealing with hair loss, like it's really important to treat your hair well. So making sure that you, you know, you, there's a question about washing, how often you should wash the scalp. So I think that you want to avoid overwashing and underwashing. And both of those, I think, can affect the health of your hair. So if you are underwashing, like, for example, let's say you're using dry shampoo, dry shampoo, you know, yeah. you're just not cleaning up that follicle, you know, which I don't think is healthy, healthy for the hair. So, so dry shampoo is not a substitute for washing yeah. your hair. But the flip of it is, you know, just washing your hair is not going to make your hair grow. Like just overwashing is just going to dry out your hair. It's going to lead to breakage. So, you know, p- people ask, how often do I have to wash my hair? And it really depends on your hair type. So, you know, I've got actually pretty curly, frizzy hair. I wash my hair about twice a week. Some people need to wash their hair every day. I don't think that's bad. I know some people say, don't wash your hair every day, but I think some people, you just, some you're people not- need it. Yeah. yeah. Some people need it. It's just like the way they're genetic oil production is, you know, and some people might even need to wash less often than once a week if they've got, you know, highly textured hair. So that's a long answer to, you know, it just really depends on what's causing the hair loss and trying to get to the root cause. And if it is a telogen effluvium, it's easy to try and just like, you know, buy every serum you can find, but whether or not those work or you're just like riding off the time where your hair would come back anyhow is like, a, you know, a, a question in my mind. I, I want to talk about the the skin related issues that we had kind of mentioned up top, you know, acne being one, but, you know, you mentioned, I think, like eczema and psoriasis and things like that. So I want to talk about how, you know, what are some contributing factors to those, especially around the scalp and around the face? Because, you know, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think psoriasis and and eczema, they show up on the scalp quite a bit. That's a common place that people might get it, right? You know, psoriasis more than eczema, but psoriasis, okay. yeah, a very common, you know, place for it to show up. You can get eczema on, on your scalp. The scalp is interesting, though. It's really thick and it has, you know, a fair amount of sebum production and, and it, it, it can be a little bit more protected from eczema, but you can, it, you can see it there as well, more in younger, younger children. But yeah, I mean, if you've got, so if you've got a skin condition like psoriasis or eczema, or let's say seborrheic dermatitis, that's like, I, you know, if someone comes in with a scalp condition, to the dermatology office, it's most often seborrheic dermatitis, which is the, you know, dermatologist name for dandruff, which is thought to be from a yeast malassezia that overgrows on the skin. Psoriasis is probably a bit less common than that. And then there's a host of other conditions. But if if your skin is already red and inflamed on the scalp, you obviously want to use treatments to to help that. But you don't want to exacerbate that with any irritants or allergens. So using products that are sulfate-free, because sulfates are a harsh surfactant that can be more irritating, you know, and, and can just dry out the skin. You know, common allergens in hair care. For some people, fragrance is, yeah. you know, can be an allergen. There's some preservatives, MI and MCI. I'll try and say it, methylfluoroisothiazolinone. And- Very good. I, yeah. I always butcher it, so... <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Yeah. So that is a preservative that's actually, you know, a common allergen, you know, so so there's a host of host of things. There's even another surfactant, cocomidopropyl betaine that some people are allergic to. So there's a host of things of potential allergens and irritants in hair care. So my, you know, recommendation is if your hair is scalp is already inflamed or irritated in any way, just make sure what you're using is non-irritating and, you know, hopefully 
low, low allergen, just to n- not exacerbate that. And people do ask me about scalp scrubs. So I think a scalp scrub, if you're, if you're irritated or inflamed in any way, I, I would say no, because that could just make things worse. Yeah. But I think if you've got a normal scalp, like sure, it could just be like, just like you exfoliate your skin, you know, a, a scalp scrub could do similar to your scalp. And then what are the common ingredients in hair care products that can contribute to acne? Yeah. So that's something actually that I spent like over four years trying to figure out. So I was working at Children's in the operating room and also, you know, working on product development. And it's it's an interesting question because there's, it's, many ingredients don't have any information on whether they clog pores. And then many of them having data from rabbit ears, but rabbit ears don't translate to humans, let alone human faces. And it turns out that it's not just whether you have an ingredient, it can also be what's called a threshold, like the amount of the ingredient and the way it combines. So I'd say common things like coconut oil is highly comedogenic. That's in a lot of hair care. So not all oils clog pores, but, you know, coconut oil is one to look out for. And then there's some waxes that just, you know, get into your pores that can be very thick. There's polymers, which gives like a lot of people will complain about breakouts after hairspray. You know, I call that like super blue for the skin because, you know, a lot of those polymers can just, you know, really get in the pores and and clog the pores. Silicones are an interesting one. Silicones by themselves, I think, are totally fine, but they are what we call occlusive. So they form this layer on the skin and they can trap other ingredients. And so I do think silicones can contribute to acne, but only the way that they're combined. But what I would say that most important is to really like test a finished product because you know, something might be fine if it's just in a small amount or if it's combined with other ingredients to what through what's called comedogenicity testing to make sure that it doesn't clog the pores. And, you know, even that's not a perfect test, but it's a heck of a lot better than, you know, not having that test. As a dermatologist, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see that people make with their hair care routine? I mean, I think one of the big mistakes is just like loading on products and products and then thinking that you can use dry shampoo and yeah. You know, just like at some point you do have to clean up those follicles. <laughs> I don't also believe in a completely no poo because for that same reason, no, I think yeah. that at some point, like the follicles need to be cleaned out. I think the flip of it sometimes is like over overwashing. There's, it can be tricky if you've got flaking to know if you've got separate dermatitis, which is mm. like, like I would call that like oily dandruff or just a dry scalp from, you know, irritation or, you know, allergens. So sometimes like if you've got flaking, if you've actually got a dry scalp, overwashing can make it even worse, but it's tempting to do that. So I would say th- those are the two two big things. And then, you know, I, I can't say that I've seen this a lot, but I do wonder like scalp scrubs, if people are using them, you know, who've got underlying irritating conditions, if that's exacerbating it in any way. Yeah, we are, you know, we're nearing the end of the summer. We are about to pick up fall and with colder weather does come flakes. I certainly, I will get them from time to time. So let's talk about them a little bit more. How can people deal with flakes? I know you said it kind of depends on what type of flake you're dealing with, but maybe we could just walk through the different types. Totally. So, you know, seborrheic dermatitis is dandruff and it's caused by a yeast on the skin, melesthesia, which loves oil and it loves dirty hair. So if you've got that, then making sure you wash more frequently and using over-the-counter, there's a lot of great over-the-counter dandruff shampoos, you know, with zinc purathione or ketoconazole, that can be salicylic acid, really helpful. Be sure to use a really good conditioner because a lot of those will have the potential to dry out the hair as well. Um, 
you know, and if that's not working, certainly seeing a dermatologist for, for medicated options. But on the flip, if you've got a dry scalp and, you know, some clues, a dry scalp is different from seborrheic dermatitis. It won't really have redness. You won't have anything on your face. Sometimes with the seborrheic dermatitis, you'll get flaking on your eyebrows or here. So if it's just dry skin, you know, perhaps switching to a sulfate-free shampoo is helpful, making sure that it doesn't have a lot of irritants, uh, potentially washing less often, and, and, you know, using like hydrating ingredients can be really helpful. Okay. I actually, I remember one time I went through a phase where I was getting it in my eyebrows. I haven't had it in the past few years, but I like went through a phase where I was like every winter I would like get it. And I was like, oh, it was so embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it could have just been dry skin, but if your scalp was also flaky, then, yeah. you know, it could have been seborrheic dermatitis. Oh, well, now I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I, now we get to the section where I get to talk about you. And what you do. So why don't we start with your beauty routine? Hair care is an obvious place to start. What do you do for hair care? I mean, I, I really do only assume because I'm still acne prone in, in my 40s. So I wash my hair like once or twice a week. I use our deeper conditioner. I love to use it as a mask and leave it in for about five minutes. I douse my hair in our curly cream and our magic serum because I am my hair is very dry and prone to frizz. And I also love that our styling products that are blowout cream and curly cream have UV and pollution protection for hair. I think that's really helpful. And I often just throw my hair on a ponytail and, you know, I'll, I'll use the Dyson Airwrap so it doesn't look totally okay. crazy, but it's about a five minute, five minute thing. Yeah. That's what I do for my hair. Yeah. I, I don't use the Airwrap, but I, I've started using their, their straightening iron and I, I love Dyson. Great product. Yeah. <laughs> I love, I love Dyson too. Yeah. And I do color my hair. I know that's, that's like a question that people get. Like, is it safe to color your hair? I try and go longer if I can between coloring and I buy a hair color from Whole Foods. I'm not sure that it's at Natura Tint. I'm not sure if it's really any better, but it makes me feel a little bit better about, yeah. you know, coloring my hair. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, that is a good question. You know, how much does hair color play a role in all this sort of stuff? Um, well, I should said actually paraphenylene diamine, like it's like probably the most common allergen in hair care. Yeah. So no. It's hard to find hair care that's free of the paraphenylene diamine. But then, you know, there was also this study raising a question about a link to breast cancer with coloring. Yeah. Your so, you know, that's that's another reason just to look at your hair color and, and, you know, how often you're doing it and what's in it. OK, OK. Is it better or worse to get it done at the salon or do you I mean, I, I'm sure all this stuff is like. I don't yeah. I don't know if that's known. I think it was thought maybe semi-permanent was better. You could get either done at the salon. Yeah, I, I think the salon is probably better just because I, I always think about when I do, because I've colored my hair at home, you're just like run everything's running down your body. Sure. You know, at yeah. least in the salon, it's like just going into the into the sink. But I don't think there's evidence for that. But that's just okay. my theory. Yeah. I once talked to a hair colorist who said that like, if you have concerns about putting any of these ingredients on your skin, then ask for like, foils at the salon and start a few inches back and so that why like the the dye is never actually touching your skin which I always thought was like a good yeah. tip if you're really concerned about this stuff it is except for when you're in your 40s and all my gray is literally oh. like <laughs> so it would look very odd and you know I, I think a lot of people do want to color their hair at home because it's cheaper sure, it's and cheaper. It, it's covid like still out there you know some people might be more cautious. So I think there are ways also just to like, you know, put your hair back and just not have it run, you know, down. For yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. There's always, you know, 
there's ways to do it more mindfully. Yeah. Um, you know. Okay. So what do you do for skincare? I'm a super minimalist for skincare too. Yeah. So I, I use Scene Face Wash because it's got squalling in it. So it's hydrating and I love it. I use SkinCeuticals CE Ferulic. I've used that for years. I think it's awesome. And I just recently tossed, I won't say the name, my fancy moisturizer because I was actually getting irritated from it. Oh no. I, even as a dermatologist, it took me a while to figure that out. But it has a zillion ingredients on the label. So I switched to CeraVe, which is like, I don't know, $12 from CDS, And I'm loving it. You know, as dermatologists, we often recommend CeraVe because it's got ceramides. And if you've got sensitive skin like myself, it's really great at restoring the skin barrier. And then sunscreen as well, you know, for sure. I also have, I have my hat right here. I wear a hat everywhere because I get melasma and I'm lazy about getting procedures done that I get like brown patches from the sun. So I wear a hat everywhere. Can I ask what sort of treatments you get? You don't yeah. want to share, but I always oh, like knowing. Yeah, I, I have the light stem professional, like low level light device. I probably use it once or twice a month, like not that often. I don't use it like, you know, I'm not sure quite what, what they recommend, but just use it for a few minutes once or twice a month. I do believe in low level light. Yeah. And then I also will get a Fraxo laser treatment every couple yeah. of years. I'll get rid of some of the pigment. I haven't done injectables yet. I'm not against injectables, but I just tend to be like, you know, having had Lyme, I tend to like minimize what I, you know, put in my body just like as much as I, you know, I think that's fair. I, 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 I too have not gone the injectable route. Not that there's anything wrong with it. It's just not yeah. a choice that I'm making at this point in my life, but I am at that I'm starting at that age where I really am interested in lasers. And uh, I think in the next few years, I think I'm going to have to book my first laser. Well, I so I trained at, I did a laser and cosmetic fellowship at Harvard. And so, yeah. yes, I, I think lasers are amazing. Just, you know, go to someone good, but there's so much you can do with lasers. And yeah, I mean, I probably had like uh, in the past, I've had laser treatments for, you know, telangiectasias or redness or for for brown spots, you know, laser hair removal. Like I'm, I'm, I love laser. <laughs> okay, well that's good to hear because I'm, yeah. you know, I'm starting to hit that point where I'm like, you know, I think I think that's a natural next step in my skincare journey. I I I think it's great, and you know, the nice thing about lasers is it doesn't change the contours of your of yeah. your face, so it just kind of like gives you a beautiful canvas. And yeah. what I love about it is I feel like when I get a Fraxel treatment, then I like just I I feel like I don't really need anything on my face, you know, for months after. And it just saves me time. Truly. Okay. So the last thing I always ask about are how you take care of yourself as a whole. You know, here we believe that everything is beauty. Everything is skincare. Everything is hair care on some level because, you know, what you eat, how you move, your stress levels, it all impacts your beauty routine on some level. So I always like to ask how people take care of themselves. You mentioned that you, you know, you try to eat clean and eat healthy, but I would just, I would love to learn a little bit more about yeah. your wellness routine. Yeah. So I, I, like I said, I feel like I was a little bit just, you know, given my health history forced into eating really healthy, but I, I make myself a smoothie every morning with I just super easy. I put organic spinach and organic frozen berries and that's it. And then I'll have, you know, a salad for lunch. I'll usually eat like some turkey sausage in the morning, snack on fruit throughout the day. Just, you know, I, I really try and I really try and like do moderation with with any treats. I mean I I did have, you know, delicious mint chocolate chip ice cream last night. So I believe in just, you know, eating healthy for like the most part and then having like treats periodically. That's that's kind of my philosophy. My mom is a nutritionist 
And I grew up not having like not knowing what a Snickers bar was. So that was that was that was hard. Yeah. But yeah. I've definitely like moved away from it. Okay. And then, you know, what are some of your other well-being must-haves? You mentioned meditation. Yeah, I think meditation and just you know, I love the opportunity for creative thoughts. So something I try and do is like get off my device because I probably have a couple hundred emails in my, you know, e- you know, e- email to, to respond to. But just like being able to have the time to be proactive versus reactive because like emails, like you're responding, you're responding, you're responding. So for me, that just makes me happy. And I think like whatever makes you happy makes you more you know, like that's, that's so related to beauty. So just giving myself like some, some time to just, you know, not be responding to my email or not responding, you know, to my kids and just like being able to be in me mode and, you know, reflection and, and having like creative thought. I, I love that. Yeah. Well, I think that's beautiful. I love that. And I, I think that's something that I struggle with, even as somebody who works in a creative field, but to, you know, separate yourself and give yourself time to think. And so I think that's a great lesson. And I'm actually going to take that lesson with me into the weekend. When people will be hearing this, it will be a Tuesday. But when we're recording, it's a Friday. So yeah, (laughs) I'm taking in the weekend with me. So thank you so, so much for joining me today. I loved having this conversation with you. I learned so much. We covered so much ground. I feel like (laughs) we had a ton of topics. So thank you for walking us through all that. Yeah, thank you so much, Alex. Such a such a pleasure and loved having the chance to speak with you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want more beauty content, you can find it at mindbodygreen.com or any of our social channels. And finally, if you liked this podcast, don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week.